0: 2 Kings chapter 4, 2 Kings chapter 4, I'm not going to read as much scripture this morning. I'm not even going to make as many references um, outside of the text that I normally make. In fact, I don't think I'm going to make any references outside the text unless they come to me in the course of preaching. If you saved and you know it this morning, say amen. amen. <laughs> Let me try it again because I'm going to give you another chance to redeem yourself. If you saved and you know it, say Amen. All right, what then? What next? And um, I don't preach a lot of super evangelistic messages because I think for the most part people that are gathered here on Sunday mornings are Christians. And he has called us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And that's where the heart of this message will go to today. But in 2 Kings chapter 4, there are actually two miracles in this section. We're going to take both of them at the same time because I believe they're linked together. Um, They're actually, in most study Bibles, are not even separated um, like most of the miracles are. Um, They're joined together. Um, But look at verse 38. The Bible says, And Elisha came to Gilgal, came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth, which is a famine in the land. And the sons of the prophets, that's people who were actually, we'll see it in a later chapter, they were being schooled uh, and learning how to be effective ministers, prophets, um, they were sitting before him, and he said unto his servants, Set on the great pot, and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. And one went out into the field to gather herbs, and found a wild vine, and gathered thereof wild, gorbs, wild gourds his lap full, and came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. So they poured out for the men to eat, and it came to pass as they were eating of the pottage, that they cried out and said, O thou man of God, there is death in the pot, and they could not eat thereof. But he said, then, then bring meal, and he cast it into the pot, and he said, Pour out for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. And there came a man from Baal, Shalisha, and brought the man of God a bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley, and full ears of corn in the husk thereof, and he said, Give unto the people that they may eat. And his servitor said, What should I set this, bef- what I set this before a hundred men? And he said again, Give the people that they may eat. For thus saith the Lord, They shall eat and shall leave thereof. There will be leftovers. So he set it before them, and they did eat and left thereof according to the word of God. Every time I think I'm going to just skip over one or two of these miracles, <laughs> um, I get a, a, a revelation, I hope it's a revelation of the Holy Spirit of an application, and I'll give you a heads up in advance. Um, I read this last Sunday afternoon. I got up Sunday morning, and after I did my devotions, I read the text again. I'm always, I always read what I, if the Lord, if I know what I'm supposed to preach the next Sunday, I'll read it ahead of time and just kind of meditate and chew on it through the week. So I read it last Sunday afternoon, I read it again Monday morning, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to skip over this one, because <laughs> I don't know how it applies, I don't know where to go with it. Um, and I, I try not to read a whole lot behind other people, because I don't want them to shape my influences as much as I want the Holy Spirit to shape my influences, um, my interpretations of God's Word. Um, but, I, but I will say that, there, that I was sitting in this conference last week, which is called, it was called a Liberty Pastors Training camp and it, it literally was about um, the founding of our nation and how, the, how involved that the clergy was in the founding of our nation and how much biblical principles, um, from the, especially from the book of Deuteronomy, were woven into our founding documents and, and then how far our nation has gotten away from that um, primarily because the church has stopped being involved um, in our culture and in the politics of our nation. So, um, I, will, I will admit that I was sitting in that conference this week and listening to th- some of the things that were said and um, reflecting back over our history and looking at where we are right now. And all of a sudden, this parable, this, this, these two miracles, began to take shape in my mind again. And I saw how there was an application there. Now, I... I let me say i don't ever want to just miss i don't want to misinterpret the word of god and i will say there's only one um right interpretation but there may be several different ways that that particular interpretation can be applied and so my, i'm i'm more concerned today about the application of this than i am properly interpreting every part of uh of it but but i i pray that what i've heard from god this week is literally what I've heard from God and that I'm not misinterpreting this passage or stretching it in any kind of way because my greatest fear honestly as a pastor is misrepresenting misrepresenting God, misrepresenting the Word of God. I'm encouraged in my understanding of these two miracles because of some New Testament counterparts um that I think reflect the same principles that we see in these two miracles. Um, when, you, when you think about the poison soup, and we just read these in our Sunday school stuff a, a couple of weeks ago. When you think about the, the poison soup, um, Jesus told a parable one time about um, how, how men went and, and sowed um, wheat, um, good seed, food. Something that was profitable for them and, and for their families and for the nation as a whole. And, and then he said, but while they slept, an enemy came in and sowed tares. Uh, among the wheat and and the tares and the wheat that were forced to grow up together now any anytime you got weed in a field and and weeds in the field um the weed will suffer from the the weeds just drawing away the nutrients that it needs and overshading. and so and and so that that, that there's a little bit of a connection i think in that particular parable in the new testament uh, to the poison soup, and the other thing that came in mind, although it's it's it's, it's in kind of the reverse. The Bible, Jesus said, the one verse, Matthew, I think, is thirteen thirty-four, said that the kingdom of heaven is like a woman um, with leaven who who needed it in, who 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 blended it in with three measures. That's a lot of wheat with three measures of wheat until the whole thing was leaven. Now, I think in that sense, it's used in a positive way, um, but then we see the reverse side of that, and this and that. A little bit of poison poison the whole pot of soup, and so um, I, I, the, the bread being multiplied, I think it's pretty obvious where that miracle goes to or points us to in the New Testament, and that is that on two different occasions, Jesus fed a multitude of people with just a little bit of stuff, um, five, and One in the feeding of the 5,000, in fact it says 5,000 men, that's what it said, men, and that word is aner, and it always means man in the Bible uh it doesn't mean mankind it means men masculine Said that there were about five thousand men. If everyone in men had a wife and one child, there's fifteen thousand people being fed. So the miracle gets bigger as you look at that. But in one case, he fed five thousand men with five loaves and two fish. Five loaves of bread and two fish. Uh, in another instance, he fed four thousand men um, with seven loaves and the Bible just said a few little fish. And so there's a there are New Testament miracles that parallel what happened um, in 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 Elisha Elisha multiplying this bread um for all those that were gathered there. So here's a message title. I'm not sometimes if you put a catchy title up people will look at it or listen to it on on social media when we post them up. And and I hope this will make more sense after I get through with the message. Here's your title. Soup saved and bread spread. Soup saved and bread spread. That's what happened in the, in these two miracles. The soup was salvaged and the bread was distributed and spread. So let's start with that first miracle, the soup saved. They were in a time of famine, so this is the big deal. Elisha is setting forth for them to have a meal. These prophets are, uh, are, are part of that, uh, apparently part of that 7,000 that God told Elisha had not bowed their knee to Baal. Um, they were still doing their very best to serve God in a land that had largely um, rejected God and began to walk away from Him. And um, and, and they were learning how to be Um, men of God who preach the word of God infallibly. Another definition of prophet is not just somebody that sees the future, but one who proclaims the word of God uh, infallibly, somebody that's faithful to preach the word. So these 7,000 prophets um, saw who was probably the chief prophet at that time, who was Elisha, and they were sitting before him being spiritually fed when Elisha said these men are hungry and they need food to eat. Um, it's about the same thing that Jesus did when he was ministering to those multitudes and he realized that it had been a long day and that they had sit and listened to him and that now they needed to be fed some physical food. And and so in this time of famine, they went and gathered what they could. All pottage is, is soup. Um, which is basically a combination of whatever edible elements you can gather up together and put them in a pot and boil them any y'all ever as a kid I, we do it to this day my mom will do it in a heartbeat whatever's left over she'll mix it with, she calls it goulash she'll mix up whatever's left over make a soup out of it and we'll finish it off like that Basically, that's all soup is. It's just throwing whatever you can find that's edible in a pot and seeing what it tastes like. Sometimes it's a hit, and sometimes it ain't. Um, but this is a these people are living in the midst of a famine, and and Elisha says, just go out and get whatever you can get that's edible. Let's boil it all together and um and make a huge pot of soup to feed everybody with. Well, I don't know if it, it the Bible is not clear whether it was one of Elisha's servants or whether it was one of. The sons of the prophets, it could have been either. They, they actually, um, the sons of the prophets could have been considered servants as well. Um, but they went out gathering stuff, herbs and stuff, to put in this pottage, this, in this soup. And one of them mistakenly gathered a, a vine and the fruit of that vine, which the, which the King James Version calls a gourd. Looking it up, it was probably, it probably had the appearance of a cucumber or a squash or something along those lines, not knowing that it was poisonous. The Bible said that he gathered it up and shredded it into um, the soup. And uh, and when the, as the men began to, you know, I could get pretty graphic here, but I'm not. Um, looking up the word and some of the suppositions of what people thought that it was, it probably had an almost immediate effect in making people nauseous and, and vomiting. It was, uh, it was something that would just tear up the digestive tract very quickly and could ultimately lead to death because of dehydration so so these men very quickly discovered that what they were eating had poisoned them, and elisha saved the soup simply by casting meal into the soup um essentially um healing it and then distributing it back out as an antidote for those that had already ingested it they 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 had been poisoned by it elisha. Um, had the meal thrown into it and then dipped back out of the pot and fed it to them again and they were able to eat it and there was no death found in the pot so um, here's where I think an application and, and please stay with me because I think you'll see this like I did if you'll just listen carefully um, I'm going to make one th- th- because this is the thing that kind of illuminated my understanding of what I'm seeing here So I'm going to make one very specific application, and then as we move on from this point, I'm going to broaden that application out a little bit. Um, Because of the week that I just came out of, and I I know, and you know, and I've preached before, so you know where I stand on these things, Um, but our country and our culture was birthed in a famine of liberty. Um, if you look back at our founding documents, if you look at the reason that the pilgrims came here to begin with and suffered the things that they suffered and did the things that they did, it's because they longed for the liberty, especially the liberty to worship God freely, um, without the state dictating to them how they could worship and when they could worship and, and, and how they should worship. So, so our country and our culture was birthed in a famine of liberty, but, that, but our founding fathers had a hunger for spiritual freedom and spiritual growth. They wanted a nation where the primary, um, the foundations of that nation were spiritual in nature, not just spiritual in the sense of any spirituality, um, but fundamentally and profoundly Christian um, with a Judeo-Christian ethic and a Judeo-Christian civil government. um, and, and, And the soup that was created by our founders was good. I mean, the soup that our that our the, the, all the things that our founding fathers did when they gathered themselves together and began to put our Declaration of Independence together, and then later the Constitution, and then later on beyond that, the Bill of Rights—they were mixing together. They they were joining hearts and joining minds and joining in prayer um, for God to give direction about how He would have them build this nation. Um, in fact, I. Um, I remember reading and hearing this week Benjamin Franklin in the midst of, the, in the midst of the, their attempts to try to add, there were several states that would not sign the Constitution that was written because they felt like things had not been enumerated that gave the federal government too much power, and so when they broke out to try to get the, the Bill of Rights into place, there was a lot of argument going on. There was, there was people who wanted a stronger federal government And there were some that wanted a week or go. They had a hard time. Benjamin Franklin just stalled the whole thing. And he said, when we declared our independence, when we put together um, our Constitution, um, we spent a fervent time in prayer seeking the face of God to give us um, liberty, to give us direction. Ben Franklin was, in fact, considered to be one of the least spiritual men um, even though he was a major influence, but he, he called the whole Constitutional Convention back together and said, um, I, perhaps we should stop and pray and fast and ask the Lord to give us the wisdom that we need. And so these men put together some documents that are incredible. Um, the soup that they made was good. Um, everything that they did when they, when they put together this nation um, was good, solid, and biblical, but we have allowed um, pollution and poison to come into the system that was given to us. Um, and, 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 and we need to figure out how we fix the poison and the pollution. Now, um, it's, I hope this will all come together so that you can make sense of what I'm trying to say. Meal. What is meal? It's, it's flour. It is basically grain um, that has been planted, watered, harvested, winnowed, or beaten out ground into a fine powder, it is, a, it is just a, a meal is a usable, uh, it, it is grain in usable form. That's all it is. Meal is grain in a usable form. And so I want to submit to you, and I believe you can look through the Bible and find this to be true. Um, there are a lot of different places in the Bible where grain and bread in general are used as symbols of things. And I'm just going to give you three, and I think you could probably find more than this, but for the purpose and the application of this message, these are the three things that came to my mind. Um, The the Bible itself, the Word of God itself, is called the bread. It is bread that we ingest. Uh, It is the the spiritual food that we're called to ingest and find nourishment and find strength from. Um, Jesus also called himself the bread of life. Um, Jesus is bread. Uh, And when Jesus lives in us and we um, are are called to go out into this world, um, Christians themselves become, just like Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And when I come and make my residence in you, you become the light of the world. Um, Then if, if the word of God is... Um, a seed that we have been born again and the Lord Jesus Christ has been implanted in our heart by the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, And then just like Jesus is the light of the world and he makes us the light of the world, he's the bread of life and he has made us the bread of life. So the soup of our country and our culture, let me tell you what this soup looks like. Um, our founding fathers understood that the family unit was the, was, was the first institution of God and the foundation of our nation. They wanted families to be free, to worship in the dictates of their own conscience, to have the liberty to, to pursue um, their own life, their own happiness. Um, so family is, was key in the founding documents. They wanted the people of this nation to have um, the primary power and the primary authority um, by electing their representatives to go Um, into Congress, so the civil government um, is part of the soup of our culture. Um, The Bible makes it clear that God established civil governments not to do harm to men, but to do good to men. Uh, Education, press, the commerce, the liberty, uh, even, even the liberties that were afforded the church in our founding documents, all that's part of the soup of our culture. You understand that. All of that is what makes up who we are as a culture and as a country. Um, all of those different ingredients have have been um placed into this um, soup that we live in, um, so to speak, but it has been poisoned by an invisible enemy it's It's been poisoned, and I think it's been poisoned primarily um and making us all sick because we have been um, negligent in many ways, and we have we have tolerated too much and sin has crept in. Uh, and every level of this soup and permeated the whole. And, um, and what we have now is poison. What we have now is a poison that's not only poison in our culture, not only poison in our, culture, um, poison in our, our government, but it is poisoning the church in many ways. And so um, it, 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 it's making us all sick. So, so, what's the cure for that? How do we get beyond the pollution? Um, I've been encouraged this week, and, and you're going to hear more about this in in in, in, um, in the weeks to come. But but I I will I will say to you, I believe the cure for the poison in our culture right now is an infusion of the Word of God. At every level, and and just if you just go back through everything that I just said. The infusion of the Word of God in your family, an infusion of the Word of God in our civil government, getting back to those founding precepts, an infusion of the Word of God into our education, an infusion of the Word and the truth of God into our into our free press, an infusion of the Word of God into the commerce of our nation. The Bible has a whole lot to say about money. Um, and, and one of the things that makes God angry and one of the things that brought His judgment upon um, Israel, as is they were using unjust weights and measures in their dealings with others and and God uh, looked upon that and judged that in the nation of Israel. so the same is being done in our nation today. We need an infusion of the Word of God and the principles of the Word of God. Um, we need an infusion of the Lord Jesus Christ. our primary job in this world is evangelism, and we 're doing a very poor job of that. Our primary um, responsibility in this world is, is uh, not just to have God's word infused in us but to take that word out to the masses and declare it to them and not just to make converts but to make disciples, to make followers of Christ not just to make people that call Him Savior but, um, but people who are willing to submit to Him as Lord um, so if we need an infusion of the word of God and we need an infusion of Christ in our society how is our culture going to get that? Through the church through the uncorrupted, uncompromised church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we need Christians to be who God has called us to be uh, in the midst of this culture and in the midst of our country to bring healing to all of the soup, all of the ingredients of the soup um, have been poisoned by this invisible enemy. So let me see if I can make it make sense to you just by making a simple statement and, and, and you read it from the, from the screen. Anytime and anywhere that God is at work, we can plan on the enemy shredding some poison into the mix. Now, now, all you have to do is take a look at the foundations of our nation and understand that God was all in it. Um, the Word of God was all in it. And what God did with the United States of America is made her the most benevolent nation upon the face of the earth. Who's given us money? Who has ever given us money? Who has ever... Come alongside of us and aided us. And uh, listen, it's the providence of God that brought us to where we are. And we, have, we are the most benevolent nation on the face of the earth. The United States has sent 75% of the world's missionaries into the harvest fields to spread the gospel of the United States, uh, to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ from the United States across the ends of the earth. There is no nation on the face of the earth that has been more evangelistic than the United States of America has been. We have taken our liberties and our freedoms and used them not only to spread the gospel here, but to train up missionaries and do just like they did in the book of Acts and send them into the ends of the earth. And you know, the first time the church was called Christians was when they began to to send Paul and Silas to the ends of the earth to share the gospel. Uh, that is our responsibility in the United States of America and the churches in the United States of America because we have the liberties to worship and gather and and, and pool our resources and send these missionaries out uh, to the ends of the earth. We 75% of this world's missionaries have come from the United States of America. There is no nation that believes more in the sanctity of human life. There's no nation that's ever taken the biblical principles and applied them to so many different levels of our life and our government than we have is it any wonder that the enemy wanted to poison us from the very beginning is it is it is it is it um, should we expect any less than that the enemy would come in and and do everything he could to poison this nation and our culture listen he did it to Israel um, he did it to Judah when, when, uh, in, the, first of, in the division of the nation. Um, God's not the author of that kind of confusion and of that kind of division. So, so who was the catalyst behind um, Israel dividing itself into two d- different distinct nations and having a king in one place and a king in another place and a church in one place and a church in another place? That The enemy was behind that, and those seeds of division that were sown there um, grew, brought hostility between the nations, um, caused one to become, one side to become very idolatrous and the other side fought idolatry and so Israel crumbled and fell because it had been poisoned from within and I think our nation is about to crumble and fall because we have been poisoned from within and we have to have we, we, we have to have an infusion again of the Word of God. We have to have an infusion of Christ, an evangelistic effort to reach this nation with the gospel of Christ. We have to have Christians that are willing to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world who, who will be the healing meal, the bread that is mixed into this um, soup that brings healing that, that, um, that, that, that not only can we. Can, can we heal what's, what we've got, but that we can begin to undo what's been caused by it, just like that soup was healed that day. Now, I, we can, that's a very specific application of it. Um, but, but maybe it'll help you understand where I'm going with this if I make a broader application of it. Anytime, anywhere God is at work, you can look for the enemy to shred some poison into the mix. Now, Israel is one good illustration of that. Rome... Is another good illustration of that. The Roman Empire, um, by by around 300 AD, had become had had declared itself to be a Christian nation. And then, um, when Christianity married itself to the state, which is what the founding fathers were 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 warning against, when 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 Christianity and the state married themselves together. Uh, And the civil government and the church became one. It created all kind of problems. It created power structures and hierarchies that should have never existed. Uh, And then you have the corruption of Rome. You have the corruption of the church in Rome. And then you finally have um, it all come into a culmination during the Reformation era. But for hundreds of years. The church itself had been poisoned by the culture that it had aligned itself with. So Rome is a good illustration of that. England is a good illustration of it. Um, where the, the, the fountainhead of the Christian liberty began where our forefathers were born at. And then when it became married to the state again, even, even after the Protestant Reformation, they were still poisoned. And so our founding fathers had to separate themselves completely from that and come and start afresh. And listen, we're going the same route that Israel has gone. We're going the same route that Rome has gone. Um, We're going the same route that England had gone. Uh, We are are way down this road of being poisoned by um, the soup that our founding fathers put together that was good. The enemy has shredded the poison into it, uh, and, and we've got to do something to turn it around. But, but take, this, take this illustration a little further. When God is at work in your life, when God is at work in your life, when He is bringing you along and He is growing you up and you are experiencing um, His influence, His goodness in your life, you can be sure that the enemy is going to come and do everything he can to do to shred some poison in the mix. Um, I was talking to a young man yesterday. Um, and, 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 and hopefully he's going to be able to help us a little bit this year Been in some trouble in his past um, But he shared a little bit of his testimony with me yesterday He said he broke his neck in an accident And, uh, and, and he grew up in church and was doing his best to live for the Lord But he broke his neck and, and in the process of trying to get some help for his healing He was prescribed some pain medications And for eight or nine months um, he, he became very dependent upon those pain medications To cope with um, life that he was living and then when he had his surgery and got some relief from the pain, uh, he found that whenever problems arise, whenever he felt like um, he wasn't getting his feet back under him like he wanted to and things were not going the way he wanted them to go, um, that he began to buy those same medications that he had once been prescribed on the streets and abuse those, and it began a downward cycle. Let me tell you what that is. That's the enemy selling poison. That, that, is, that is the enemy looking for every way that he can creep into your life Um, whether through sin, whether through indifference, whether through apathy. Um, Listen, he can get you so busy that you don't have time to do the things um, that God's called you to do. You, You don't pray. You don't read your Bible. You don't attend church. You don't do this. You don't do that. And all of a sudden, there's poison in the soup. Um, what when whenever God is at work in your life you can bet that the enemy is going to come along some kind of way and try to disturb that to try to poison that to try to pollute that uh, so that you become unprofitable um, to the kingdom of God to the cause of Christ in your life um, it can be true of your marriage um, listen the enemy hates the family the enemy hates marriage the enemy uh, the, the, he understands that's the first institution of God that's the foundational institution uh, of the church that's the foundational institution of our government it's the foundational institution of our whole society the family is so what has the devil done he's come after families he sowed pollution I love a lot of what Reagan did but but taking the no fault divorce laws and making them go worldwide was a mistake Making them go nationwide—that was a mistake. That was an unbiblical mistake. He made a mistake there, and and um, and, and 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 I think that now he would agree with that—that that it was a mistake. But understand, uh, it, when when there is an opportunity, what's this whole transgenderism? What's this? What's this? There's you can't I, you can identify as whatever. That's an attack on uh, on 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 gender and on marriage and on the family itself. That is Satan sowing poison uh, into. Um, the soup. What's this whole progressive woke movement out there um, that has infiltrated the church? You understand now we have churches that have gone full blown progressive and woke and have latched on literally to socialistic and communistic ideologies. Um, they, they make um, the church more about feeding the poor. Um, and, and sheltering the homeless than they do about preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't feed the poor or, or give housing to the homeless, um, but that's a socialized gospel. If you feed them, if you build them a, a mansion for them to live in, and you don't share with them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're just as spiritually impoverished and just as bound for hell um, as they were before you fed them and before you gave them a home. So you can't just focus on the social aspects of the gospel You have to present the spiritual aspects of the gospel, which is that we're dead in sins, um, that we need a Savior, that we need need to be born again so that we can inherit the kingdom of God. So anytime, anywhere God's at work, in your life, in your marriage, in your family, or in the church, the enemy is going to sow his seeds of poison in. Sometimes that comes in the form of sin. Um, that we begin to, to that we that we let creep into our lives, and we don't deal with it the way that Hebrews chapter twelve says that we're to um, that we're to lay aside every weight and the sin. A weight is just a distraction, something that slows us down. Sometimes that's all the enemy has to do to us. Uh, listen, I've I've seen people um, that that were faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden got extremely wealthy, uh, and and their spiritual life took a back seat to their wealth. Um, they got too busy to do the things that they had been doing. Now, that didn't have to be that way. I know people that have, um, that have become devoted to Christ and begotten very wealth and became more spiritual. Some of those men that I met at that conference this week are using the wealth that God gave them. In fact, I'll just share this. This is a rabbit trail. But one of the men, and if you want to go look it up, look it up. He he owns an investment group called Timothy Plan. They don't invest in any stocks or bonds. They don't do any trading that has anything um, that is tied to socialism, to communism, uh, to immorality. Uh, Everything that they invest in is pro-life, pro-marriage, pro-Bible, pro-Judeo-Christian values. And the man that founded that organization, his name was Art Ally. You can look up Timothy Plan. He was at that conference this week. Um, There were 200 pastors there. Um, It cost us $99. $99. For four days at a resort on St. Simon's Island. Um, They fed me and uh, the pastors and their wives six meals. And I'm not talking about cheap meals. I'm talking, it wasn't happy meals. It was good meals. It was meals that made me happy. But it wasn't a happy meal. Um, If we had had to pay for that out of pocket, it would have cost us $1,500 a couple to stay there and eat those meals that week. Um, this man, because of God's blessing in his life and because he didn't let wealth take over his life, paid the way for pastors to go. Uh, he asked, asked us to make a $99 contribution so we'd at least show up. Um, but he paid for us to be there um, from his funds. So you don't have to let wealth consume you. But if, but if the enemy understands and knows um, that, that, that worldly mammon can be a threat to your spiritual life, guess what he'd do? He'll bless you with some. He'll help you find an inroad um, so that you can be distracted. That's the weight. Hebrews chapter 12 says don't just lay aside the weight, but lay aside the sin that so easily besets you, that so easily knocks you off course, that so easily poisons your life. And so the poison can be sin, it can be apathy towards the things of God, it can be tolerance of things in your life that ought not to be tolerated. But whatever the poison is, the cure is the same an infusion of the Word of God, an infusion of the Lordship of Christ, for for you to be who God has called you to be um, is the solution for your life, it's the solution for your family, it's the solution for your civil government, for this culture, and for every church. Um, It is for you to be who God has called you to be because you have been born again by an incorruptible seed, which is the Word of God, and the Lord Jesus Christ has taken up the throne of your heart to rule and reign over your life. Every, anytime, anywhere that God is at work, you can look for the enemy to pour some poison in the mix. Will you just agree with me that the soup that makes up our country and our culture has been poisoned? And, 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 and some of that is coming from our own lives. I think the first thing the church has to do is repent. I don't think we can do anything else before we repent. I think we've got to take responsibility for the sin in our life. We've got to take responsibility for the apathy in our life. We've got to take responsibility for the things that we've tolerated that should have never been tolerated in our own lives personally and what we've allowed to go on in our, in our culture, in our communities without raising uh, uh, an objection to it at all, without doing what we could to stand guard over the soup. Which brings us to the bread spread, and I'm going I'm to tie these two together. The man that brought the bread came from a city that was named after an idol. Baal was the idol. Baal was the idol god of the nations, the Canaanites, that were supposed to have been driven out of the Promised Land, but who had been allowed to creep back into the Promised Land. And now Baal worship had become common, not only um, among the pagans that lived among the Jews, but it it had become common among... Um, the Israelites themselves. At, at, at the Dan, which is, um, there was one at Dan and there was one at Bethel. There were two golden calves set up outside of their um, their temple, so to speak. But there were also idols set up there. Uh, and so the Jewish people could come there and worship God or they could worship those idols. Or they, they worship the, they actually were not worshiping God because they had a golden calf set up that was representative of God. Um, but they had let Baal worship creep into their midst. Um, but this man apparently was not a Baal worshiper. He just lived in a city that had a Baal name. In fact, I think the, the last part of that means um, um, Thrice High, um, which was probably a, a, an attempt to connect Baal worship with the Thrice Holy God of the Scripture. But this man came from a city named after an idol, but he came with a worship offering. The Bible called it a first fruit, which is the tithe. Remember, they're living in a time of famine, so there wasn't a whole lot out there to be given. There wasn't a whole lot out there for anybody to eat. It was a dearth. It was, a, it was uh, People did not have plenty. But this man still brought of the first fruits. He brought a tenth of what God had blessed him to grow. Um, and he brought it and gave it to um, the man of God, Elisha, as a worship offering. Um, some of it he had already made into bread, and some of it was unprocessed grain. It was still in the husk. It had not even been. It had not been beaten out. It had not been separated from its kernels. Um, it had not been ground into meal. Some of it's finished bread, and some of it is just unprocessed grain. Um, and 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 then just like those five loaves and two fish, um, this wasn't enough to feed everybody. I, I know that it says that there were um, that there were 20 loaves of barley, but I looked it up because I like you know. When I think about a loaf, I think about Merida. <laughs> I think about a big loaf. Um, but if you look it up, these were probably very small loaves. In fact, one of the commentators, I don't read a lot of commentators, but I did check out Matthew Henry, and he said this was probably scarcely enough to feed one man. It's like me opening a box of oatmeal pies. They might be 12 in there, but I can make short work of them. Um, I, have to, I have to guard myself against doing that. Um, so so even, even if there were 20, even if it was 20 loaves of bread like we would have in our mind, it was not enough to feed the men who were there. And so the objection was made right away. Um, it's impossible for me to take what has been given to me um, and feed all these people. And Elisha said, do what I said do. Thus saith the Lord, do what I said to do. And not only are you going to feed all these people, but there's going to be some leftovers. So it's the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 in the Old Testament that the men would not only eat until they got full, but that there'd be enough leftover um, for them to have later. So these two miracles in my mind and my heart are just connected to each other in this sense. In the poison soup, the meal and the flour was the healing agent that was used. The soup had been poisoned, so flour was cast into it um, to, to bring healing to the pot of soup. And again, the, the meal and the flour was a picture of the Word of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and even of the church itself because the Word and Christ live within the church. They move and minister within the church. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? It is the Word of God that, that that caused us to be born again. We heard the Word. Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing comes by what? The Word of God. We heard the Word of God, and we believed the Word of God, and we were born again of an incorruptible seed, which is the Word of God. And as soon as that took place, when we were born again, then the living Word comes and takes up residence within us uh, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the bread of His Word. We have the bread of life Himself. Living on the inside of us, and they don't only—they not only save us, they sanctify us. How are we sanctified? The Bible says that we're sanctified by the Word, um, because the Word of God is truth. What does sanctification means? It means that, that the Word of God is making us more like Jesus. The Spirit of God and the Word of God at work in our life grow us up into the image, into the likeness of Christ. And so, and so, listen. When the, when the meal and the flour was used to heal the soup, in that. Um, which is a picture of the Word in Christ and His church, um, this miracle is an extension of that fault in this sense, um, that whether you're mature in the faith, that's the bread loaves, that's bread ready to eat, that's bread ready to use, whether you're mature in your faith, or you're still in the husk, you're a brand new believer... Um, You you still got there's still some beating out that needs to happen in your life There's still some breaking off of the chaff that needs to happen in your life Uh, There's still some grinding that has to happen in your life to purify and perfect your faith So whether you're mature in your faith or you're still in the husk You have the capacity to feed the people around you spiritually You have the capacity to be to be an influence on the people that are around you Spiritually and what this man did, he did as an act of worship and he did as an act of obedience because the Bible commanded the tithe. And so what this man did in an act of worship and obedience, um, Elisha used to feed all of the men around him with some left over. So hear me now, to feed those around you spiritually. If you are a Christian, a mature Christian or a brand new Christian, if you, bread, if you bake bread are you still in the husk, um, you, have, you have an opportunity, you have a privilege, you have a responsibility to feed the people around you um, spiritually not only as an act of worship and as an act of obedience but you can do that without diminishing the supply whatsoever because what you pour out to others is still in your heart by the word of God and by the Lord Jesus Christ so you feeding people around you it's not diminishing who you are in fact I think it would do just the opposite it grows who you are it perfects who you are and um, when we sit around and do nothing um, we become stale we become dry and um, we dry up ourselves but when we use what God has given us to be an infinite on the people are around that are around us, beginning in your own family, beginning in your own marriage, beginning in your own church, and then outside in the culture around us. When 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 the Lord uses, when um, when when he saves you, he wants to use you, um, to minister to those that are around you, to feed them, to infuse them spiritually. Now, see, I told you about the testimony that a young man shared with me yesterday. He's brand new. I'm, I'm looking forward, I hope he can work with us some, because I'm looking forward to sowing into his life some and to try to help him. But he don't know this, that what he said to me yesterday was an encouragement to me. Fed me spiritually, helped me identify where people are and how they got there. Makes me a little bit uh, more compassionate towards them and less, uh, less condemning in the sense that uh, I, when I heard the story, I didn't. I, I thought of him in a different light than I had before. I just knew he had been in trouble. His daddy told me he'd been in trouble. Um, but when I heard the story, I understood this. that's the enemy at work. Um, I, I know what got him off track, and now I want to help him get back on track. But God used him even to encourage me, and um, in, in him still in the husk, him still brand new in his faith. And, and so you can, you, can, you can be a blessing to the people around you spiritually, and you ought to be a blessing around the people um, a blessing spiritually to those people that are around you because that is being obedient to God's commission in our lives and it is an act of worship to Him when you walk in obedience. So, let me see if I can summarize all of this in, in, in one long sentence. i going to put it up on the screen and I'll read it to you. All spiritual poison and famine in our lives and families in our communities, in our churches, in our culture, and in our country has an antidote and a feast. There, there is the healing and there is the health that comes from the Word of God, the Christ of God, and the church of God being infused into it and then used by it. Does that make sense? Does that help bring it all together? What the, the poison that exists. And the famine that exists. In our land. It is a spiritual poison. It is a spiritual famine. Um, if, if we don't get that. Listen. I, I, I think that we ought to do all things that we need to do civically. I think we ought to vote. And we ought to vote right. But our nation is not going to be healed through the political spectrum. Our nation's not going to be healed through the economic. I, I'm telling you, we can be busting at the seams. We can have our barns full of grain tomorrow. And it, it won't stop the moral landslide that we're on. It, it won't stop the path. Uh, the, the foundation of our nation is spiritual. And so if we don't attack this problem at a spiritual level, it's never going to change anything. What we have to have to change our course, to correct the... to, 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 to negate the poison and to, and to feed this nation um, a, it has to be an infusion and a feast on the word of God, the Christ of God that comes from the church of God in the midst of her um, we are enough and we have enough now I, I know I mean I look at our nation today and I'm thinking I'm overwhelmed by it, ain't you? I mean, I, sometimes I just have to try to stop thinking about it. Because it it'll take me down a vortex that I don't want to get in. But, but tell me one time in the Bible that God ever saved a people with a majority. Every great turning that you see in the Scripture... Was not done by a majority. It was done by a handful of faith. When you remember Gideon's army, I'll just use one example. Midianites coming against Israel. Poor old Gideon was hiding behind a wine press, threshing out wheat, trying to feed his family. Scared to death. The angel of God, who I believe is Lord Jesus Christ, found him there and said, Hail, thou almighty man of valor. Gideon said, You got the wrong guy. That ain't me. And he basically said, I come from the least tribe, the least family in that tribe, and I'm the least man in that family. And God said, no, it's you. And he showed him that it was him. By the way, when you get to the end of that story of Gideon, um, what did he saw rolling down that hill to that camp in that vision? A roll of barley. What's that, bread? Rolling down the hill in that camp of meeting. And he said, when I saw that, I knew that the victory was ours. So when uh. When Gideon called his army together, guess how many men came? 32,000. And basically God said that's too many. If I if you go if you go into that camp with that many men, you're going to take credit for it. So tell tell anybody in the 32,000 that's scared go that they can leave. So and I'm I'm paraphrasing, but Gideon said if you're scared go home, 20,000. <laughs> 22,000 in fact left. We out, we scared. 10,000 left standing. God says still too many. Tell them to go drink water. And the ones that get on their knee and pull the water up in their hand, that's the ones I want, 300 of them. 100 on this side, 100 on that side, 100 on the other side. What do they go with? The sword of the Lord. What's the sword of the Lord? And the sound of the trumpet. What's that? The word of our testimony? And the Midianites basically destroyed themselves. Jehoshaphat surrounded by so great an army that he didn't know what to do. He, he said, Lord, we don't have any power or might against this enemy. But we, when we look at them, they're grasshoppers laid out before us. We don't, under, we don't know how to do this battle, but our eyes are fixed on you. And what, what did God say to do? He said, send the send worship choir out. Send the choir out. The head of the army, let them sing. And the Moabites were overthrown. By a handful of Israelites, God's never used the majority He's always used a minority He's always used the remnant of God's people that were willing to take the word of God and and flesh it out in their own lives and before their enemies. We are enough, and we have enough to make a positive spiritual impact by our faith and obedience in the world in the world that we live in. And, and if we don't allow the Word and Jesus to permeate our lives so that He can heal us and help those around us, we're not going to have anything but doom and destruction coming. There's death in the pot. You hear me? There's death in the soup that has been created in our culture today. And, and if we don't allow the Word of God and Jesus Christ to be Lord of our lives, we won't heal anybody, we won't help anybody, our country, our culture, and a lot of churches are already in great jeopardy. And you might be too in your own life. Um, but none of it has to stay that way. And none of us ought to sit back and do nothing until it dies. When we have the opportunity to hear and believe and obey God's word. And make Christ the Lord over all of our life. Not just not just our personal life, but our public life. Not just... Um, Not just uh, Lord of our life on Sunday morning, but Lord of our life Monday through Saturday. Uh, Not just Lord of our life when we come to an altar, but Lord of our life when we go into a voting booth. Um, Lord of all of our life. Either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. I know that I'm already past time, but I want to show a little two-minute video clip. And then I'm going to close with a quote from one of our president as so if Zena can pull that up real quick. Their entire purpose was to detach our culture from any moral anchors whatsoever. You look at the changes in America since 1960 perhaps, the, the whole culture has been transformed. They're coming out of the belief that the village should raise the child uh, and the village means the government. They have deliberately destroyed the American family understanding that's the foundational block that uh, builds a society. We've come from uh, Norman Rockwell's America to uh, you know, Hugh Hefner's America. If we lose the Judeo-Christian framework, we're lost forever. The left wants you to think that the cultural changes that have taken place in America since the 1960s have done nothing but progress us forward toward a brave new world. They look at what holds society together, they understand it but they don't want that, they want change. And they will subvert and rot every good and decent thing we believe in because they have a vision for a new society and that must mean the replacement of the old society. This film will show that the brave new world they seek is nothing more than the failed policies and ideologies of the communism that enslaved over a third of the world's population during the 20th century it will show that most people on the left aren't communist, Just the useful idiots Lenin spoke of, being used to promote a socialist agenda, which is the first and necessary step toward communism. That's a, that's a two-minute trailer. It's really just a little fragment of an hour-and-a-half-long movie called Agenda that I was exposed to this week at that conference. It's, it's powerful. If it don't wake you up, I don't know what will wake you up. Um, I love my Sunday afternoons off, believe me. But next Sunday afternoon, uh, I'm going to show that, that whole movie here, probably 6 o'clock. Um, you don't have to come. Um, I, I don't expect a big crowd, honestly. But, but I think the, one of the biggest reasons our culture is where it is is because the church has become disengaged from the political realm. We've given up hope in a lot of reasons, in a lot of ways, I think. Um, but I don't want Zion Hill to be part of that. I don't, that's that's poison in the soup in and of itself. When we're apathetic and indifferent and lazy um, in our civil government affairs, then we're complicit in its destruction. Um, Nikita Khrushchev, Soviet leader, 60 years ago um, said that your children's children will live under communism. Your children's children will live under communism. He said, you Americans are, are gullible. You won't accept communism outright, but we'll keep feeding you small doses of socialism until you'll finally wake up and find you already have communism. Um, the ideology behind socialism and communism is Marxism. Look it up. It is just anti-God. It is an atheistic, secular, humanistic worldview. It is taking over our nation. The whole Black Lives Movement. The two leaders of the Black Lives Movement are both um, co- are, are, are both trained Marxist evangelists. That's who they are. Um, it's poisoning our country, and it's our fault because we had not stayed engaged, but I, I'm, I'm going to do my very best to make sure Zion Hill's going to be an exception to that rule. I don't think I'll get everybody on board. In fact, I'll just warn you up front, there's probably some folks not going to come back because they're going to say, he's getting too political. Now, I ain't going to make every message every Sunday a political message, but you'll start hearing an infusion, and there may be a section during this summer between Memorial Day and July the 4th where you're going to hear a lot of political Because I want us to go back and see what we were made of and what made us a great nation. Um, Beginning with the movie next Sunday night, and then I'm going to do a very concentrated effort real soon to get as many people as I can engaged in in a, and I didn't put it together, it is a very well-produced study called Biblical Citizenship. What does it look like when God's people engage in being not only the citizen of a heavenly kingdom, but a citizen of this blessed nation that he's allowed us to be a part of. I'm going to close with this quote, and then we're going, I'm going to ask Kim, you can come on, Kim, if you want to play us a closing song. Reverend James Garfield, and I, and I did say that right, Reverend James Garfield, Reverend James Garfield was the 20th president of the United States of America became president not long after the civil war was a a major general um on the union side of the civil war but he was a devout christian who did he he just um believed that slavery was wicked and evil and it was and it is um, he only served from march to september because he was assassinated um i've read a little bit of history on him this week and by all Everything I can read, he was a man who really wanted to turn this nation back to its foundational roots of Christianity, and Satan couldn't have that. He wouldn't have that. So he was he was he was shot and died by sepsis um, in September. He was shot in July, I think. So he was only president, acting president for just a few months. But this is what he said: the people are responsible for the character of our Congress. If that body be ignorant, reckless, and corrupt. It is because the people tolerate ignorance, recklessness, and corruption. If it be intelligent, brave, and pure, it is because the people demand these high qualities. If the next centennial does not find us a great nation, it will be because those who represent the enterprise, the culture, and the morality of the nation do not aid in controlling the political forces. Who's he talking to? The church. To those who have the principles upon which this nation was founded, written in their hearts. Because we did not aid in controlling the political forces that are all around us. And it's not just political. Um, There are dark spiritual forces at work in our nation. Influencing our politics, influencing our economy, influencing um, our education system. And if the church don't wake up, this nation is doomed. And I'm not trying to be a pessimist and I'm not trying to be a downer but I'm here to tell you if the church don't wake up our nation is doomed. Do you know we're almost 35 trillion dollars in debt? China and Russia are already trying to, 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 to make sure the dollar is not the world standard anymore for currency. When our economy collapse you can look for anarchy. Overnight. Now, I don't think it's too late to turn it around, but the church has got to engage. We've got to engage. Let's stand. Lord, I thank you for your word. I know it sounds more like a political stump speech this morning than it does a message from your word, but I think your word gives us instruction for every portion of our lives. For, for what our families ought to look like for what our sex life ought to look like for what our finances ought to look like for what our government ought to look like I think that your word has given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness and um, we failed in so many ways to apply it in so many areas um, that it has brought us to this place where we're at today um, nations that had any kind of democratic form of government even though ours is not a, a, a pure democracy we're a constitutional republic um, nations that were similar to ours had a lifespan of about 250 years before they just imploded Rome is a good illustration of that but we're, we're knocking on the door now Of 250 years of history. And. um, I know that you don't need a huge. Crowd. You just need a faithful remnant. Jesus you could have. You could have saved thousands. And sent them into the world. But instead you invested your life in 12. Who invested their lives in 120. And within a matter of. A few weeks after the founding of the church. There were already tens of thousands. That had been changed. By the influence of your word. And of your Christ. And of your Christians. And I pray for that God. If uh, we don't have revival. If the people of God don't stand up. And be who you've called us to be our future doesn't look very hopeful in this world that we're living in. And um, I pray you'd help us that we don't get so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. I know that there's an escape route for us and I know that we're going to win in the end anyway. But I really want my grandchildren. And I hope one day great-grandchildren to live in the most blessed nation on the face of the earth to enjoy the liberties that I've enjoyed and to continue to be a light to the rest of the world for Jesus and his gospel's sake these things I pray in his name Amen I love you Lord and I lift my voice